James is an in interesting book as uh, Pastor Peter started off last week. And I always like stories that, you know, uh, Jesus, Jesus' brother James didn't believe that he was Messiah until he was resurrected and showed back up. Uh, Jesus' stepfather, Joseph, at secular writing said that he didn't believe it either. But there's something powerful about that resurrection. You know, that just changed the world. And that's why we have Easter at such a special time. Because even Jesus' family realized he's telling the truth. Well, the controversy was over once Jesus was resurrected. You know, there's a controversy. Is he really the Messiah? Is he really? Well, there was another uh, uh, dilemma that came up in the scriptures. And it's in the book of James. And it so happens, it, the biggest... The biggest controversy pretty much in the scriptures between theologians, the Protestant church, and the Catholic church is in the second part of James. And that's where we're going to go. But before we go there, um, I wanted to just quickly do the first, because we're doing the whole chapter, just go over the first two points that uh, James makes. And it's pretty quite evident. Uh, James is talking about, <clears throat> James 1 says, my brothers and sisters, believers, uh, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. <laughs> it's, you're not to show favoritism. And it's talking about poor people and rich people. And first uh, chapter, James, uh, Peter touched on this also, that <clears throat> what's difficult is that in America, if you make 14000 which is the poverty line, $14,000, you are in the top 1% in the world. That's how poor the world is. And that's how poor the Middle East was. Jesus makes a point that he has a heart for poor people. Um, and then, especially in the church, when a poor person comes in into the church and they sit down right there, they may sit down next to someone who's well-known, great reputation, have a lot of money, and they're both believers. And this was a point that they kept pushing. James was pushing, goes, listen, God special, has a special place in his heart. Now, both people, if they believe in the Lord, are going to heaven. But when someone comes in, don't show favoritism to this one who has money because he may be able to give you, you know, monetary value to your building or whatever. And, you know, it's really saying that both of them have value. Both of those people have value. In fact, regardless wherever you think you are uh, in the scheme of you know, your income. I want you to know that if you have the Lord in your heart, the kingdom in your heart, you're rich right there. And I'm even going to point it, paint it a little better. I know that there's a lot of, I know a number of wealthy people, and uh, a lot of times if their child has been raised in great affluence, they like for them to get a normal job, you know, like the rest of us, to go one summer work in a convenience store, go work as a maid here in between college, go, or volunteer service someplace, you know, as a missionary, just let them, let them know where the rest of the people live. But I want you to know that when that person turns, you know, 25 and they receive their inheritance or their pa uh, parents pass away or leave them inheritance and they're going to inherit millions of dollars, that person's rich, wouldn't you say? Are they rich if they're working at a convenience store? Are they? Yeah, they're rich because they're going to inherit a bazillion dollars. Uh, guys, if you have the kingdom of God in your heart, right now Jesus is building a mansion for you. 
You are going to receive an inheritance that is unfathomable here on earth. But it's been promised to us. And so I want you to know that regardless of your station, there is a mansion being built for you. He said that you are the trophy of the Lord. That he would send his only begotten son. That you can inherit the kingdom of God. That makes you rich. And, and really, we should, no matter what it is that you do, you should walk in that posture that, you know, I am a king's kid. I'm a king's kid. What he sent Jesus to do and where he's gone to prepare for me. But there's something in between. A place that we live right here. And there's trials and, and tribulations. The earth, you know, has been handed over to the devil and sin has come in. So, James in chapter 2 starts off, he goes, look, you know, do not show favoritism. That person sitting next to you, though they may be poor right now, they have an inheritance which makes them rich. And if you're a believer, it says every one of the believers, God has put an investment in you. He's given you a gift. He is, he has, has shaped and is shaping you, forming you for a good work. That's everyone. Whatever gifts that you have, he's expecting you to invest it and have a return. So we go to the, the other point that he makes here. He says, don't show favoritism. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who loved him? I tell you, everyone who loves him has been promised rich or poor, but you have dishonored the poor. He says, listen, you need to appreciate the work of God in that person. You need to appreciate how much God loves them. God paid the same price for that person to be here as he paid for you. His worth is as great as yours. And in the kingdom, his inheritance is going to be just as great as yours. So that brings us to chapter 14. A little history on chapter 14 in the 1600s was called the Reformation. That's when Martin Luther uh, looked at the writings of Paul and says, you know what, the, the church has us paying money, has us doing all this penance, have us uh, saying all these prayers, living this way, so that we might make it to heaven. He goes, I read, he goes, in my readings, the Apostle Paul, it says that I'm justified by my faith. Faith alone gets me saved. And so, boom, Martin Luther says, you know what, Catholic Church, it is not by what you do for us. It's not saying or, you know, getting penance from the priest. What it is, getting forgiveness, it, it, here's, it comes down to this. It's my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now in the 1600s, there's this huge controversy. Well, the Catholic Church goes to James, and James talks about, he goes, hey, you know, faith versus deeds. You can't have faith without deeds. And so the Catholic Church, and even to this day, there's huge discussion between the theologians. One says deeds, the other says, no, you can just have faith. You're justified just by faith. Oh, no, well, you have no deeds to your faith. It's dead. You don't. And so it goes on, even today. Well, hopefully I plan to make this simple. Said, How do you make something so complex? They're still arguing about it today. How are you going to make it simple? I was in a, I was doing a, a week-long seminar in um, Bangor, 
or uh, Belfast, uh, Ireland, to a little city beside Belfast. And at lunch, the pastors would go away and they would discuss. And I, I think I, I did most of the seminars because uh, Pastor Peter Hornin called me last minute. He goes, you have to do it all. I can't make it. <laughs> Mir and I aren't making it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm doing this one seminar, and this, this one pastor, young guy, who has a radio show, he was there. He goes, uh, Pastor Mark, uh, <clears throat> I think you're making the subject you're talking about much too simple. I go, really? He goes, yes. He goes, I've been teaching for the last two months <clears throat> on the jewels in the breastplate of the priest in the temple and how every jewel represents some aspect of God that every believer needs to walk in. I said, how long has it been taking to do 12 jewels? He goes, oh, two months now. How often are you on the radio? Every day. You know, like, hmm. So I just shared it with him. I said, you know, in America, I said, anybody who takes something that's very difficult and can make it very simple is considered brilliant. It was so right, the rest of the room went, oh, God, he got him. <laughs> you could hear the, the bus didn't even hit the brakes as it went over him. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> he got thrown so far under that bus. <clears throat> and so that's what I'm going to try to do. This is really, if you get into theology, it can be very, very difficult, where if we put it in the right category, if we look at it the way it was intended to be addressed and looked at. It makes it very simple. So the Apostle Paul, in Romans, he says, he was talking about the law. He goes, the law can't get you saved. It's by faith alone. I want you to know that Paul was talking about a doctrine. A doctrine. What James is talking about is practical. How do you live your faith? What does faith look like in the practical world? practical world. Paul was saying, when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and the thing that's going to get you into heaven is by your faith alone that gets you into heaven. That's it. That's the doctrine. James is talking about when you have faith in this world, there's going to be deeds. People are going to see your faith. It looks like this in the practical world. So let's just if you go to heaven and you're standing at the judgment seat and you're asked, why are you here? You don't go, well, I did this and I gave to the church building fund and I did that and I served as a leader and I, that's not going to get you in heaven. You need a doctrine. And that is, you get in because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross that he died upon. Okay, that's it. But James is saying, in this life, here's what practical faith looks like. You're going to see it. It's going to have deeds. You can't get, I mean, it's obvious. There's no such thing as, you know, I've got, I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in this fallen world and you can't see it. I, I represent righteousness and the kingdom of God in my life and you can't see it in a dark barren and lost world. That's impossible. How is God living in me and it doesn't 
touch and have effect. So that's, that's the difference that we see in these two books. And it should, it, it, it should clear it up for us. Beginning of James, let's do the first two. It says, love your neighbors as yourself. This is the first two points before verse 14. Is that pretty clear? You know? All right, then we go on. Here we go to James 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish persons, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac to the altar? You see, that is faith, and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see, that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she, she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, those are powerful words. But remember, we're talking about the practical. You have the living God faith in you. Something has to happen. Regardless how you see yourself, there's something that is, that is powerful. In 1988, there was a company, and they were worth $900 million. That's pretty successful. $900 million. And they came up with a slogan that hit the hearts of every person, regardless what walk of life, whatever your situation was, uh, how old you were, how young you were, what sex you were. It didn't matter around the globe. They came up with a slogan that grabbed everybody and challenged them. They went from a $900 million to a $9.2 billion company. That's huge growth. With three words. Three words. What company? I don't have Nike up there. How did you know that? Every one of you went, hmm, Nike, Nike. Just do it. Three words. Just do it. Let me, let me give you a question. Just think of something that you wanted to do, that you dreamed of doing, that you thought you might do. Uh, 
a situation you're in that you know the answer, uh, but it is not quite there. I mean, it doesn't matter. It, okay, think of, the, think of that saying. You ready? You know, because I have the answer for every one of you. Are you, ready? Are you thinking it? Just do it. It, it. it goes beyond that you can't argue with it. Well, you know, if I just, uh, just do it. Ooh, yeah. Like, ah, oh, you know, I, I don't know what, I, I need to lose what, just do it. It answers it all. And you know why I think that's so big? It's because we live in a world of procrastinators. Look up the word procrastinate. Get your phone out. Look up procrastinate. Go to images and. <laughs> Flip it over. You're there. <laughs> You're picture two. I'm picture one. That's just do it. That is why we're all drawn. Every, it answers everything we've ever dreamed or dreamt or wanted to be. It answers it. Just do it. Just do it. And you, and you can't even argue with it. Well, but just do it. No, you don't understand. Just do it. <laughs> you, you can't beat those three words. And you know what? James paints us a picture. Just do it. The scriptures come along and they don't give us an excuse. Not to do it. There just isn't one. Every dream, every goal. I meant to, I hope to, just do it. Let me give you, oh, I really like this practical. Men, married men. Are you ready? Bus is coming. I got you by the belt, by the scuff of the collar. So just, just go with me, okay? Just go with me. Do you love your wife? Yeah. Do you think she just does incredible things for you and goes the extra mile and is kind? And, and you think about it, right? You, you thought about it. And then you go, I should tell her. Nah. A little cheesy. She knows how I feel. Here's the word. Just do it. It'll change your life. It will change your life. Someone called me just this week and they go, hey, my wife, she kind of wants to go to the next level of conversation. <laughs> now, we got four kids, but uh, we, we want to talk. And, I, and so I said, you know, it's funny you called me. I gave him the same question. I said, let that be your next level of conversation. Say the things that you think that's lovely about your wife, and you don't tell her because you think it'll just be cheesy or it's out of place or you tell her all the time. I said, just go ahead and say it every time it comes to your head. I go, it will take your conversation to another level. She won't even want to go further. I, I guarantee you that will settle this new level. And she couldn't describe it. I said, I know what it is. You see... I make my living communicating. 
I make my living reading emotions and sharing emotions. And by dang, why can't I do this? I just, gosh, why didn't I, why didn't I tell her how much I love her? How much, why didn't I tell her how much I appreciate her? Why didn't I tell her how much? Ah, she already knows it. Do you know there's marriages that, marriages that were in love that have that gotten to such a bad place because no one took advantage of an opportunity? When that thought comes across your head, do you realize that that's, that's an opportunity? It's not cheesiness. It's, it's an opportunity. And God says he gives us opportunities all the time, and we don't take them. If you ever said, God doesn't give me an opportunity, he's done that, hadn't he? That was an opportunity to change your marriage. That was an opportunity to change the way you communicate to your wife. Boom. And so we have opportunities that, that come up. And, and I want to explain. Here's an opportunity. A circumstance that makes it possible to do something. That's a circumstance that comes up that makes it possible. Well, then, how do we get opportunities? Look at Ephesians. Ephesians says, we are God's workmanship. If you've given your life to the Lord, you are his workmanship. He has done or given something to you. According to the Corinthians, every believer has a gift, if not gifting. There are moments where God will gift you because of the need of the moment. So you are his workmanship. He's working on you. He's put something in you if you've given your life to the Lord. That is your identity. That is your identity by grace. God, you didn't, he didn't, you didn't deserve to get this from him. He gave it to you. If you accept the Lord, and that is where you need to find your opportunity, in identity. At the end of the, James here, it says the prostitute Rahab had deeds because she didn't see herself as a prostitute. She was the person who had the opportunity to save the spies and send them a different way instead of getting captured. Her identity at that moment was prostitute. Her identity was these men's salvation to escape. What is your identity? See, there's so many of us that our identity is in all of that we failed and all that we've not done or what we did Friday night or Saturday night or, you know, you're divorced, you're not divorced. You, your identity is in that. Oh, I'm poor. You listen, you got a mansion waiting for you. You're rich. You're rich. Why aren't you walking like that? Oh, I'm nobody. God gave, God gave his son for you. You're his workmanship. He even says that we're his trophies. Trophies. Everyone keeps trophies. Who has your sixth grade trophy still somewhere? You know, you got a ribbon? I've got the ribbon, you know. What's your identity? Because if your identity, you realize that somehow God's done his workmanship and he's good enough to work even in you. As bad as you are, or as lazy as you what? It doesn't matter. He said, You're my workmanship, and I have, you're to have an identity in that. And when you have an identity in that, it says, created in Christ 
for good works. Guess what? He is, he's done this in you for a good work. That means an opportunity has come by that you're going to do a good work. There's something for you to say. There's for, something for you to give. There's something for you to do. There's an opportunity that comes to all of us. When in that one moment, the opportunity, something comes up, and I'm going to identify as a man and woman of God, and so I'm going to do this. And it's going to be accounted to us as righteousness. That is faith without, with deeds, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. You walk, when you walk in it, what are you doing? You just do it. You just do it. I think about the opportunities. I was in another conversation I had this week. Who's between the ages of like 35 and 55? Raise your hand. Okay. I've been thinking about this with this message. That this is the moment that I think just in your lifespan that that. It's time for you guys, you are at the precipice of making a difference in your world, making a name. You know, I even look at Jesus, his ministry started in his 30s. I look at, you know, opportunities I had. And that God's not done with me, but that, that impactful time to, to really have the energy to push through those extra hours, to, to get up earlier, stay up later. You've got the energy. You're, you're at that point where it's time to change something. It's time to be that just do it in your life. You've, you've had enough dreams. You've got enough education. You've got enough experience. Enough, no. You learn the rest when you start doing it. But to put in you, because I believe that opportunities are coming up for especially those guys. We all have opportunities because we're believers. But you guys, this is your time, you men and women, to make an impact, to write that song, to invent that thing, to to write that book, to get that job, to go for that job. You you just, I'll never get it. Well, then, you know, go for it. Just do it. Let someone else say no besides you. Is it time for you to stop saying no to yourself? Absolutely. Stop figuring everything out if it ends in a no. We act like, we act like well, if I ask for a raise, you know, they're going to they're gonna steal my car. You know, they're going to beat me up. If I, if I go and apply this job, you know, like, well, you know, they're, they're going to get sticks out and beat me all the way home. No, they're not. You're just not going to get a call. <laughs> like, oh, they may not call me. Really? Wow. It's time for us to have God privilege. Isn't it? It says just do it. Let your faith have deeds. Just do it. Wow. Man, guys, you're there. This is your time. This is your time. This is your time to build. Your time to build a church. Your time to build a business. Your time to create. It's your time to have a name. 
to be known by your deeds. I'm excited. I don't know if you are, but I am. I'm excited for you. I get to watch. Whoo! Well, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such a faith save them? <laughs> Soza. That's the word save. It just doesn't mean save them from hell. It means save them from sickness. Save them from danger. Save them, period. See, this is the practical faith. If, if your faith has no deeds, does that faith, can that faith save you? If there's no walking it out, if you don't believe that God has called you, if you don't believe that you're a work ministership, that's, that can't save you. That cannot get you to an opportunity. That faith can't save you. So it's so much more. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes. And it says a brother or sister, and it refers to someone that's in a relationship with you. Could be in the faith, it could be someone you know, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What action? You know, some have taken this as, oh, we're going to feed the world and uh, it's called uh, social gospel. But the problem is they think they're just going to feed people and they make them feel good. They're living, they're walking in, in deeds and no faith because they forget to give them salvation. They forget to, for, to give them their mansion, their inheritance, which is to bring them to the faith. That's the most important. But I, I, it's, uh, it's interesting that you know, people say, you know, someone says, oh, I need this. You don't have that that they need. Well, I got news for you that, that most of the time, people who say they need something, no, they want something, and, and what it is that they're wanting is not what they really need. Um, I, and, and a lot of times what they want, you don't have. But let me tell you, Peter, uh, Peter and John were going to the temple one day, and, and the, the lame guy goes, hey, hey, buddy, hey. Alms for the poor. And hey, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, here it is. It's not what he was asking for. It's not what he wanted. It was what he needed. You have been the workmanship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have something to give. They may be asking for something else. You don't have it. Your job's not done. Give them what you got. And what I got is always an encouraging word. What I got is always hope. What I got is this or that. I can give them the plan of salvation. I can do a whole lot of stuff. It may not be what they're asking for, but I would say half the time what they're asking for is not what they need. It's what they want. So if somebody comes to you and they want something, it's like, I don't have that, but you know what I do have? Because... There's an opportunity right now. There's an opportunity right now. 
You've run into people going, man, there's just something wrong with them. There's, there's a, a young lady uh, who I go and I buy my Diet Coke every day at our handyway. And she calls me Jesus because I'm, in her mind, I am. <laughs> I say, at least call me Jesus. It doesn't sound so sacrilegious. Uh, so, before I went to Canada, she had about two or three weeks there, and she just was tired. I know she works two jobs. I went to the subway. She's who's helping me? She's helping me. But I noticed that she's really tired. She's just, and I'm, I I have fun with her, talk with her all the time. And I said, "You sure you need to go get checked out?" So I come back from Canada was this week. And the manager's store, she goes, have you heard about, I said, no. She said, well, we made her go to the doctor and said she's got colon cancer, she has stomach cancer, she has esophagus cancer. Said they give her less than a year. I gave her my card. I said, tell her it's time to have that talk. Time to have that talk. What I have only thing I have to give to her. It's faith with deeds. I know a guy. Faith with deeds. Faith without it is dead. What do you have? Even when you don't have what it is they want. I believe the scripture says, you've got it. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. That's practical. That's not doctrine. That's practical. Doctrine is going to get me to heaven. This changes the world I live in. And people will know me by my deeds. You see, some of us think we know ourselves because of what we think we have. But the world sees us by our deeds. Those two should be the same. What I think I am and how the world sees me needs to be the same. A man and a woman of faith. A man and a woman who's, they, you know what, it's deeds. Yeah, the Rahab, Rahab, she's a prostitute. But you know what, God accounted to her as righteousness, her faith. She did deeds. Wow. It goes pretty quick. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son? He offered his son, but he did. That was the righteous part. He offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Actions prove who someone is. Words prove who they want to be.
So when you say, when someone asks you, well, who do you think you are? It better act. They better see relationship with your actions, or they're going to know, and he does not have a grasp of how he comes off. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Can you imagine being considered God's friend? You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. It was said, not getting into heaven is that they're considered righteous. In the same way was even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. There's the questions for the small groups. The person that you think you are in your head is is the same person that people see. We live in a world of procrastination. And it's not going to stop because of this message. But we need to recognize what world am I living in? Is it all in my head, or are there deeds that go with my faith? Is my faith just all in my head, or are there actual deeds? You know, is my being, do I see myself as that prostitute? If you do, if all you do is see yourself as that that drunk, that lazy, that cussing, that divorce, if that's all you see and recognize yourself as, you're not going to get any opportunities. You've got to recognize that the Lord has made you his workmanship and that he's put something in you for this moment that you need to see an opportunity. Seize it by just doing it. You just do it. I need to loose you to, to let go of that that says, no, I can't because... The word just do it wipes it out. I can't just do it. Well, you don't understand. Just do it. I'm too old. Just do it. I'm too young. Just do it. Wipes it out. Just have deeds with your faith. This world needs you. This church needs you. Your family needs you. Just do it. Give those words of affirmation. Offer yourself in a situation that there's no hope. I don't know what I'm going to give, but you know what? I'm going to throw myself in this situation and just do it. Just do it.